0: Machine learning and artificial intelligence are changing every aspect of our lives, from how we do our jobs, to how we shop for our products, to how we travel, and healthcare is no exception. How can machine learning and AI help us live happier, healthier lives? Welcome to The Next Big Thing in Health, a podcast from America's Health Insurance Plans. I'm your co-host, Matt Isles, and today we're speaking with Sig Sharadkar, Managing Director with Accenture Health. We'll be discussing how technologies like artificial intelligence and machine learning are improving health outcomes while making healthcare more accessible and efficient. Sig, before we go too far into the weeds, I'm curious about your role in healthcare and what brought you to your current role with Accenture Health. So Matt, you
1: know, I started my career right out of university at a New York cancer center in the nineties, and then building on that operational experience, uh, developing provider managed care networks for a New York uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield insurer. I was sought out by consulting firms looking beyond the MBA to provide real-world solutions to their healthcare clients. Nonetheless, having acquired an MPA in healthcare and and an MBA in management, I spent over 20 years consulting to payer, provider, and pharma clients, accumulating a 360 view of healthcare and witnessing the convergence of these sectors in recent years. For most of my time as a consultant, I've been fascinated with how talent and organizations are key success factors for the many transformations my clients have undertaken. Fact is, talented humans and organizations are going to be ever more important as they are called upon to maximize the promise of artificial intelligence, or or AI, through various forms, including bots, natural language processing, data algorithms, predictive analytics, and machine learning to increase value and productivity while decreasing costs. So I'm living in a very exciting age in that uh, my my client base is overlapping increasingly and converging increasingly and learning from each other around how each uses the various forms of ai and so it's an exciting time for us to be talking and it's an exciting time for us to be um, working in in the healthcare industry
0: so backing up a bit what is machine learning and how is it being used in healthcare
1: in the uh, sort of digital talk soup right of uh of all these words right we often use these and other phrases interchangeably right and we should be more careful not to create noise when we are really intending to create buzz. Artificial intelligence as defined in the Human Plus Machine book, uh, written by Paul Doherty and James Wilson from Accenture, uh, defined as systems that extend human capability by sensing, comprehending, acting, and learning. In short, smart machines, right? Machine learning, on the other hand, is a field of computer science that deals with algorithms that learn from data and make predictions without being programmed explicitly.
0: In short, an application or type of artificial intelligence. Wow, that's really interesting. Now, we know healthcare is such a personal and intimate service. Why would people wanna use machines and artificial intelligence, or AI, as you mentioned? And what's the promise of machine learning for patients and consumers?
1: Let's let's break down how we got here, right? Um, humans since prehistoric man have made use of technology to make life simpler whether it's you know basic hand tools or the ox driven plow and the wheel so at the dawn of the industrial revolution in 1760 and for the next 200 years and this is going to be important manual tools animal labor basic forms of human labor were slowly replaced by powered machines uh, and you know mostly in developed countries wasn't until the 60s that we saw the coming of the information age. So that's 200 years later, right? That then birthed the internet in the 90s, 30 years later. And the internet of things enabled by the cloud just five or so years ago. So the speed at which we're moving to where we are today, cognitive systems, is what is at the crux of how humans handle this this, this speed of, technolo- of technology, this exponential speed, I should say. Now collaboration between human and machine has never really been um, as fast as it, as it is today, as powerful, and really as critical. If you consider that for the past hundred years, how technology has changed how we live, work, and play, and that the next hundred years will eclipse, if not make extinct, all that we think is technologically advanced about the way we live today. So how does that translate to to uh, patients and consumers? You know, this, this morning, um, I, before I left the house, you know, I, I uh, spoke to Amazon's Alexa, right? And I said, hey, Alexa, what's the weather like in the two cities I'm going to visit this week? My son asked Siri at the breakfast table, uh, you know, what the NBA game schedule at, uh, at Madison Square Garden was going to be, you know, in, in the upcoming uh, month. My wife received a notification from her Google phone about how she should, uh, but, you know, when she should leave to make her first real estate appointment. And lastly, my mother uh, received a reminder from her drugstore app that she will need to refill her medication. Oh, and by the way, here are some coupons that go along with her, her medical condition that she could use while she's in the store. These are all examples of how voice recognition, web searches, and behavioral algorithms work together to deliver daily services and products seamlessly, really sensitizing us to the new machine age. However, these machines, they learn from our inputs and patterns, and that's just scratching the surface. You know, what I would call low fidelity AI, right? So what if the next generation of AI doesn't have to rely on our inputs or our patterns uh, to aid in decision making? What if the next gen of AI, and I think it's already happening, computes a billion facts and and takes in sensory inputs to tell me that I shouldn't visit one of those cities this week because there's an impending snowstorm or what have you, or tell my son which team will win the next NBA game at the garden, Or tell my wife that her buyer is not going to purchase that house today, or that my drug or that the drug my mother needs to refill can be personalized to increase efficacy and eliminate her side effects. And that's just thinking in today's lo-fi AI paradigm. Right. So we're just beginning and patients and consumers are melding. Right. So patients are consumers. Consumers are patients at some point, And we're beginning to think of that um, very differently than we did before.
0: It's amazing to think about how rapidly the technology is changing and, and the impact it's going to have. But let's translate that to how a patient might actually experience uh, machine learning. So what does that look like in practice?
1: That's a great question. Um, l- let me let me take you through kind of uh, you know a provider example, and then maybe we can touch on a payer example. Kind of the continuum of how a consumer as patient would experience AI. AI provides opportunity to take cost out of the healthcare system, right? Certainly, uh, that helps everyone, not just the people delivering care, uh, but obviously people who are consuming that care. Um, and AI in its infancy. You know, took hold in corporate back offices, and so if you're looking at an insurance company or even you know our um, massive provider systems, you know that's where people have been most comfortable using bots that learn transaction patterns via human keystrokes, right? So think of long, complex macros you may have used in MX in in, in MS Excel, for example, and then you know scale that you know a hundred times, right? In terms of uh, being able to use that to make transactions easier. Um, AI is spreading into the field operations and moving outside the organization to engage and influence customers, and in this case patients. So, in the, provi- in the provider example, AI is being used to reduce diagnosis errors, assist in surgeries, find new genetic links, chat with patients through chatbots. That's very real today as patients call in to their providers um, or call into their insurers analyze unstructured data for deeper medical insights. And that's probably the most indirect um, positive impact to the patient. So if you think of AI as the superhuman computer brain assistant that can unemotionally gather and analyze data faster than the human brain can uh, and work without stopping to eat, drink, or sleep, that's continuously providing information to providers that are then translated into patients the payer example, we're seeing AI being used to reduce the rocketing administrative costs. In a recent Accenture study, we found that insurers could save up to $7 billion over 18 months using AI-driven technologies by streamlining admin processes. $15 million per 100 full-time employees by simply automating routine business tasks. In this same study, Accenture found that 72% of health insurance executives say investing in AI will be one of their top three strategic priorities for 2020. So, what does this all mean for the patient? Reduce cost by reducing wasteful spending. AI could help insurers improve consumers' overall health in the way that they they deliver services at a less expensive um, price tag. So, you know, I mentioned chatbots earlier so chatbots you know handle routine web inquiries about benefits claims provider networks so imagine you're calling in as a, as a as a consumer as a patient and you're just wanting to understand you know what the status of your benefits are your claims etc uh, and without having to sort of go through and wait for a human to come on to talk to you about it you can actually simply like in an faq form ask questions and get quick answers now behind the scenes right and this might would be you know it obviously is indirect to the patient but extremely important is detecting errors or missing information in claims so your claims is hung up because it's you know it's got the wrong zip code it's missing a letter from the uh, a number rather from the zip code um, the, the the AI that's deployed is able to find that out potentially fix it and move that claim along right so imagine you know getting re- getting adjudication faster or in the time that you'd expect to get it and then lastly predicting member events such as out of network or er visits right these are you know some of the ways that ai is already working um you know alongside humans
0: so with the growing use of robots chatbots ai and automation there might be some fears out there so for example there might be a fear of doctors being replaced by machines or uh, some other changes. What's the human implication of the rapid and widespread adoption of AI in healthcare?
1: Yeah, well, great question. And it's a question that we're often asked uh, as people um, you know, get to learn about AI and try to understand it further. So AI spans routine or manual to judgmental or cognitive tasks in ways that will continue to allow us to focus on more desirable and inspiring levels of work. So working in the new requires a recalibration of skills and human talent, much like we did from the agricultural age to the industrial age, to the information age, and now to the cognitive age. With each technological age, most workers have been resilient by adapting to the new way of working over time. But we're seeing wider talent gaps emerge over the last 20 years due to the speed of these technological innovations. Again, as I had mentioned earlier, you know, it took us 200 years to get through, you know, most of the industrial revolution. And now we're looking at, you know, tens of years and even, you know, singular uh, years to get to the next uh, stage. But it's important to know that automation substitutes tasks and not jobs. And that's really important. You know, I was reading somewhere recently that, Um, You know, in the U.S. at least, there's something like 6 million people that are unemployed. That number may be less now. Um, But there are 6 million jobs that are unfilled. The issue isn't not having enough humans. It's not having the humans at the right skill level, right? And so you've got countries that are, um, you know, much more um, uh, state-biased. uh, even if they are democratic countries, uh, such as uh, say Germany, um, where they are putting in investments to bring up the population, to upskill that population, to be able to handle the emerging jobs that are out there, you know, in the U.S. we've got sort of a public, you know, public-private partnership, and it works in various pockets, and we certainly need to do more to be able to uh, bring more of our folks that are you know out of work. Um, who have the right potential to be able to get the right skills to fill these jobs, right? So, we still need to to get qualified talent to operate, maintain, and innovate the machine. It's a symbiotic relationship. Uh, if the machine part of it is done well, it gives back to the human, in many ways giving us superhuman powers, right? enabling us to do the kind of work that we wouldn't be able to do uh, necessarily on our own, even if we threw more people into that, into that uh, job. So one example of humans and machines coexisting is with... This, this concept of cobots or collaborative robots, intended to interact with humans in a shared space or to work safely in close proximity, made possible by the use of lightweight materials ergonomic handling sensors to to limit speed or force imagine a cobot to mind an immobile patient in a hospital or home setting imagine you know all the sensors that are deployed today to to have someone in say the nursing station or in some central location you know know that the patient is getting out of bed or needs to um, you know take some sort of action. Imagine that and it doesn't have to be sort of you know robots in sort of the R2D2 sense but imagine better sensors that are built into the beds or that are around the room that are able to predict and notify what the patient wants to do or needs to do. Imagine that, um, you know, the 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 AI in the room of that patient uh, is aware of, right? Because you, we've inputted their diagnosis, right? We've inputted their recovery. We've inputted a whole bunch of things that basically basically now have the AI in the room help the patient without having a human attendant sort of watching over that patient, right? So that's a very real example that is actually taking place in, in, in hospitals across the country.
0: Wow, you paint a really detailed picture of how it could be uh, useful and applied to patients. Let's talk about another human angle to this. Uh, let's discuss privacy, safety, security. Uh, there might be some fears about how AI or machine learning might play into those elements. How are these technologies going to impact patients on those fronts?
1: Yeah, no, and that's that's something that you know organizations are grappling with. Uh, you know, regulatory bodies such as the Fda for for life sciences um, are coming in to talk about or to better understand AI. In fact, I was reading somewhere where, um, in this case, the FDA was uh, uh, in a conference talking about, Perhaps artificial intelligence should be considered a medical device, right? And the way we regulate medical devices might be how we, in the future, regulate or uh, put protocols upon how AI works um, within healthcare, right? And so, you know, in terms of you know payer and provider. Uh, the use of data, whether you know protected health information, personal information, de-identified or non-personal information, is controversial as they are established and emerging companies that could benefit patients and providers with data-driven decision-making. But these same companies could potentially harm patient security, privacy, and safety if used in unlawful ways, even if unintentional, right? So there's no question that um, data privacy and safety is on the mind of uh, of patients, as it is in the minds of consumers, given all the breaches that we've uh, encountered, you know, just over the last twelve months, right? So, while the while the you know the the HIPAA, um, you know, Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, has specific standards for the collection and the use of PHI since ninety six, however, it narrowly applies to data processed by covered entities and business associates, meaning that data miners like Apple, Google, and Amazon, to name just three are excluded from this application, right? So, does HIPAA need to be expanded to cover data miners? If so, how, right? Truth is, we have been giving up more privacy for the advertised rewards, but we want none of the risks, naturally, right? Um, Public outrage over, you know, frequent cybersecurity breaches have led to international privacy laws, but the U.S. still lacks comprehensive data privacy law. Um, several federal bills are being debated in Congress as we speak, uh, purporting to protect user privacy through increased transparency, oversight fines, liability, and if necessary, jail time for dishonest tech executives. So we've got essentially for the first time all these bodies, public and private, thinking about how to you know, maximize uh, the use of AI because it has so much benefit. But how to do it in a way that it doesn't harm? Uh, and I and I'm sure there's going to be you know more and more forums and conferences that we'll be a part of, where we will hear more about how to do this in a reasonable way. Uh, obviously, uh, our government is going to uh, weigh in on this as politicians make this part of their platforms. And so this is not the last we'll hear about it. Um, I will say that you know in in the in the book Human Plus Machine. Um, by Paul Doherty, he talks quite a bit about the fact that, you know, we need to be responsible and we need to be, you know, um, uh, ethical about how we roll out artificial intelligence. He talks about how the CEO uh, of the future might actually be the chief ethical officer. Right, because so much of what we're going to do is going to be in the data. It's going to be in. It's going to be in the products and services that we deliver, uh, and that you know, you you know, we know the term viral. Once it's in there and it's scaled, it's out. Right, and so um, more to come on this subject.
0: You touched on a number of really important policy issues that we think about a lot here at Ahip: privacy, security. Are there any policy barriers, though, that are slowing progress when it comes to machine learning and AI? I,
1: I think our, I think that our our politicians um, haven't quite caught up to how best to uh, put laws in place that uh, both you know allow us to be in the business of AI as as organizations and take benefit from that. Uh, but also p- protect the public. Um, and the reality is is that you know, in our current system, um, there's there's increasing talk, but very little action that's taken place. I and mean, we're gonna probably need something like a standardized, you know, uh, national, um set of rules around uh, you know governing of ai as it's delivered in this case to uh, in, in the healthcare environment as it's delivered to uh, consumers who uh, are either acutely or chronically you know patients um that that's that's probably as far as i'd be able to go in this conversation uh-huh. <laughs>
0: Thanks, Sig, for joining us today. And we'd also like to thank your organization, Accenture Health, for serving as the sponsor for Season 1 of The Next Big Thing in Health. Thanks. Thank you. If you like what you heard, tell a friend, and remember to leave a rating or review. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks, Sig, for joining us today. And we'd also like to thank your organization, Accenture Health, for serving as the sponsor for Season 1 of The Next Big Thing in Health.